yeah, it's based on Steve Bruce as a manager, and we know that we're not happy with him, and that that's that. That I don't see that improving at all. It is a case of when will he get sacked? Miller, lovely cushion header. Oh, What's everyone saying? You're listening to the Beyond the Gaffer podcast. You're here with your boy Kaj and your co-host Dinesh and Dylan. Before we go on to the rest of the episode, please follow us on BTG underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. Now, we've got a great episode here today and we're going to do all things Newcastle. And so we're going to give it to Thinish to host the episode. Thanks, Kaj. So today it is, like Kaj said, everything we're talking about my club, Newcastle United. Um, and joining us today, we've got a special guest, Isha. How are you, Isha? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, so basically, uh, we're just going to talk about everything in terms of Newcastle, present, past, um, and looking ahead to the future as well. Um, so before we get into that, do you want to just give us a background on your history supporting the club um, and why you support Newcastle? Yeah, sure. So when you and I first met, didn't we? We were talking about how we're probably like a minority, I guess, because obviously we're from down south, but we are like Geordies at heart. And I guess it started because my dad's always supported Newcastle. And I mean, you always inherit the club that your dad supports. And my dad's not actually from Newcastle. He's Irish, but there is a large community in Ireland that support Newcastle and they have done. And, you know, people like Kevin Keegan and obviously that whole era, that was when I started supporting the club when I was very young. So it seemed a good enough reason to continue supporting the club, even though we haven't really reached those levels since then. And it's been a lot of, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the pain today. There's no being around the bush. I mean, this won't be the happiest, most positive podcast things we're talking about Newcastle United. But Regardless, you know, we support our club and I always will do. And that's why I support them. And I always have. That is, I couldn't have put it better myself that I'm literally exactly the same. Like, obviously we've had a lot of like really bad times, but when the good times, when the good times are good, they are really good, aren't they? So exactly. um, And it's probably better that we're recording this off the back of a somewhat positive result against Spurs as well. I thought we played a lot better in that game when we recorded the video and your YouTube channel. That was, that was pretty damning, wasn't it? After the Brighton result. Oh, that was a sad, sad podcast. We were really like down in the dumps, weren't we? We We were were, like, we're getting relegated. We're so pessimistic. And I'm not saying like I'm on cloud nine, but I have to, yeah, I have to agree with you. With that Spurs game, we were playing ambitious football. There were a lot of changes made. I think that the right changes were made. And obviously last night, Wolves won. Thank God oh, God. that. Oh my God, I was the biggest Wolves fan last night. When the goal was disallowed, I was angrier than all the Wolves fans. I was like, no, no, Fulham cannot even get a point out of this. There's no way it's happening. I'm not having it because, I mean, unfortunately, we are in the position where our relegation fate is dependent on those who surround us. And Fulham, you know, playing the football they've been playing recently, that is who I've been keeping my eye on. And yeah, I mean it's okay at the moment like you said the Spurs result great we grabbed a point and then last night with Fulham I'm like yeah we're three points ahead of them we got games in hand it's definitely looking better 
Yeah, I mean, that was a huge result, wasn't it? And I think going into the game tomorrow, which we'll get on to later against Burnley, I think the boys will hopefully feel a lot more positive knowing that they've got two games in hand now. Um, and if they can win that game, that would be huge, wouldn't it? That would put us six points clear, essentially. So basically, starting off with this episode, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Isha, first. Um, what do we think of the season so far? Um, just give me a quick overview of how you think we've played in terms of football and how the signings uh, we've made have integrated into the team. Well, I guess if I'm starting with the signings, you know, I was going into the season fairly positive. I, I was really surprised at at the names we got on board. And, you know, like with Bournemouth, I know we were sort of, we've loaded up on these Bournemouth players and yes, they got relegated, but the likes of Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser, like you can't ignore what they've achieved in recent years. And that too together. And to get both of them on board and someone like Callum Wilson, I, I was I was really positive, actually. And, you know, the first game, was it Aston Villa? Yeah, it was West Ham. West Ham, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Hendricks scored, right? I, I think yep. he scored in debut. The two yeah. new signings scored, they did. Yeah. And I thought, this is great. We are rejuvenated. We look refreshed after a terrible summer. And obviously the takeover stuff we'll probably talk about later. I was deflated. Uh, deflated isn't even the word, like below, 10 levels below deflated. I was like, whoa, we are, you know, from lockdown, the potential and the high hopes we had of a takeover happening. And then to go back into the season with Steve Bruce and with the existing squad to make those last minute signings. Yeah, I, I was I was positive. However, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't continue that way for me. And I was I wouldn't say I was worried I, was, I wasn't worried up until, um, I was worried up and I started getting worried in like February, I'll say, because up until then we were winging it. I felt like we our, our, <laughs> our performances weren't matching the points we were grabbing. I felt we were incredibly lucky throughout the season. Whenever we managed to grab a point or whenever we even got a win, there were only a few occasions where I thought we actually deserved it. And uh, there were only a few occasions where I would actually give Steve Bruce the credit for that because, you know, the immense criticism on his tactical shortcomings this season, it's just like a a narrative that continues. And even now, like, you know, it's just every day. I feel like stories every day from the start of the season till now have been revolved around Steve Bruce and his lack of tactical, I, I guess, just his shortcomings as a manager. I feel like he's sort of out of his depth and... Yeah, I mean, that that hasn't gone away. What has changed is that I feel like a lot more pundits have agreed with us as a fan base and they've sort of turned around now and been like, yeah, you know what? He has to go. It isn't good enough because a lot of people were supporting him all throughout the season saying, oh, you know, Newcastle fans are demanding too much or we're being, yeah, you know, like, and it's not about the attacking football that we're demanding. We are just asking for a consistent brand, clear Yeah, like a brand of football that's actually clear. You know, we don't want to watch football that looks directionless. We want to see a squad that at least has some cohesion. We haven't seen... I'm struggling to think of a time where I've watched and I've thought, yeah, the team look like they're gelling well. The dynamic is there. There's a flow to things. They look like they know what they're doing because a lot of the time they don't. And that does come down to Steve Bruce and that does come down to some individual players and individual errors. I can't ignore that. But as a whole... Yeah, it's based on Steve Bruce as a manager and we know that we're not happy with him and that that's that. that I don't see that improving at all. It is a case of when will he get sacked? 
Yeah, 100%. I think going back to the point around Callum Wilson, when I saw that transfer was going to go through, I was, I was over the moon because I knew that was a, the only way we'd stay up this season if we had a 10 plus goal a season striker. And if you don't have someone in that, in that sort of area, especially I think we've really struggled to score goals in the last five years, really. And, and that's largely down to not having a, a season striker who can, who can score 10 plus goals. So that was a huge bit of business, I think. And it was really shrewd to get in. Fraser along with that purely just because obviously they've they've played together for quite a while now and they've the chemistry is there so I think it was really good business on that part and similar to you I was actually fairly hopeful this season that we wouldn't actually be in a relegation battle and that we might be able to float closer towards mid-table but unfortunately it's it's not gone our way has it and like you said that's largely down to the tactics uh, that Bruce has instilled I, I still don't think like you said we've, we've we know what brand of football he's trying to play um, I think I think what we'll allude to later when we talk about Rafa is that he's sort of essentially inherited his tactics and trying to play off the back of what he tried to do, which shouldn't which shouldn't be the case. He should be trying to instill the brand of football that he wants to play and not just sort of rely on what was done previously, sort of just to keep us afloat, really. I'm going to bring you guys in, Kaj, uh, Dylan, what do, you, yeah, what do you guys think just from watching us this season? So, like, I actually have a question for you, like, just from the outside, right? So, what are Steve Bruce's tactics? Because obviously, you know from a day-to-day, ba- like, well, game-to-game basis, right? What is it the formation? Is it the way he sets up his team? Like, it's just way too defensive. He doesn't put un- enough midfielders forward. Uh, into, is it just the lack of profile of players and t- that you have? Like, we spoke um, offline, really, about how you ha- used to have, like, Kabai in midfield so you can retain the ball and maintain, like, possession, right? Is it just the lack of players like that? I mean, yeah, it's a whole bunch of questions, really, but just for, like, non-Newcastle followers, really. The thing is, I think... I, I don't think we can actually make the excuse that we don't have the right players to take us forward. I really don't think we can count on that as an excuse. Look at the like look at the starting eleven, you know, look at Alan St. Maximin, look at Callum Wilson, even Ryan Fraser, who does need more game time to improve, but of course the potential is still there. He's very much technically able to create chances. Like even like Matty Longstaff, we know there is so much potential there with the right manager, we can progress. So I'm not even going to say, you know what, if we had this, that and the other or some, I don't think it, I don't think we need to add any more value to the squad in order to progress. I don't, I, I'm not even going to say that. But what what actually baffles me, and I don't think I can even answer your question, because even like after the Spurs game, Alan Shearer said um, that... Newcastle were playing a lot more ambitious um, in the Spurs game, um, you know, on the front foot, looking to attack, looking to create chances. And we need to keep this up. And did you see what Steve Bruce said in response to that? I didn't actually see that. Yeah. What did he say? So he said, I don't know if this is him like getting his guard up because I know he's been a bit more defensive in the press in recent months. He said, yes, I agree. But balance is key. And he was saying that, look at uh, look at Norwich City when they got promoted into the Premier League. They were on the front foot and they were playing this attacking football, but it wasn't enough to keep them up. And I came into the Premier League wanting to play on the front foot, but it's very hard to do so with the big teams in the Premier League. We can't play the way we want to play because of that. Okay. And that kind of hit a nerve with me because I thought, yes, balance is key, but hold on a minute. Hold on. We have defensive collapses. We are not solid at the back anymore. Okay. Oh, let's play five at the back. Five at the back doesn't even work because we're not actually, it's it's ineffective, right? So, oh, I was pulling my hair out of that because I thought, hold on, don't play that card because we're not defensively sound anyway. So don't, don't use that as if like, well, this is what we need to consider because we're ineffective on either ends of the pitch. I mean, 
in terms of his tactics. His tactics aren't being deployed in a way to create chances or to set up solid at the back. Both, at both ends of the pitch. It's funny that he wants to, he keeps saying he wants to play attacking football. But I, I remember the turning point for me was when I watched that Shuffle United game when you lost 1-0. He was playing 5-4-1 against the bottom of the league, Shuffle United. No. And I, 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 no. I, I remember that game. I think, I know Fraser got sent off in that game, but I was thinking you're going in 5-4-1 against a team who haven't won all season. Like that is not the definition of attacking football. And the problem was he was playing Hendrick at right mid, Joe Linton, like out, like Gale out wide. Like it, it was set up all wrong. And then he goes after the game. Oh yeah, I think I got the team wrong. Oh like, you know my I mean? God. And wasn't that their first win of the, li- of, of the season? It was. Uh, oh, well. what the hell? You know what? The stats actually back it up. Obviously, like the games that you don't score nowhere near enough goals. Um, you didn't that much under Rafa, but it was still better then. But compared to Rafa, right? I think you were conceding 1.26 goals per game under Steve Bruce. I think you conceded uh, 1.67 uh this season and it's up from 1.53 from the previous season so you, it's just going worse and conceded away from home it rose from 1.21 from under Rafa to 1.95 so you're losing nearly two goals a game i think everyone emphasizes the lack of a like lack of attack with newcastle at least from a neutral point of view like gary neville brings it up but it's just the defense never gets mentioned either i don't know what your thoughts on that uh, I was, I was, I thought that this was like a really important point because Isha, I, I'm sure you agree as well that I don't think we've had a settled back four all season, and I think this part of the problem. Like I do a weekly sort of lineup, predicted lineup on Twitter of what the Newcastle team would be every week, and I don't think I've got a single eleven correct all season just because he chops and changes the team all the time. Like you just can't predict what he's going to do, and that's really part of the problem that we just don't have a settled team that we can go into the game and think these players know how to play with each other. I mean, like Jamal Lewis is the is the like common example here where we've brought him in fifteen million pounds this summer. He's a good player, a young player, someone who's got a lot of potential, I think, to develop. And he's basically been told to just sit and defend. And he's been brought in as an attacking fullback, a position that we've struggled with over the last few years. I think we've we've basically played pretty much either Domit um, or like Richie. I mean, Willems was brilliant. It was really sad not to get him back after his injury. But Lewis was definitely someone I saw before we started the season as an option that we could actually start creating goals from uh, the fullback positions. And again, he's been hampered by sort of the tactical... Um, the setup of Bruce that he's just not been allowed to attack and now he's lost faith in him I think now we're playing Richie aren't we it's got to the point where we're just playing key characters essentially so Isha, mm-hmm. I don't know what you think do you what do you think of the defense this season yeah I think you're right and I think given that we don't have a trusty dependable starting 11 now like what we're in April and we still don't. It is, exactly. It is, it is scary because not only do we not have a starting 11, like you said, like players aren't being played in position. Like up until recently, Miggy wasn't. Like Miggy, like a, an incredibly valuable player. It just takes one Google search to know his preferred position, where he's most effective. Yet, and when he is played in that position, he looks incredibly comfortable. Yet he hasn't been played in that role. And I don't think Steve Bruce and the team, the coaching team have got to grips with, you know what? He kills it there. Let's play him there, keep him there. And then let's nail the backbone of the squad and then make minimal changes here and there. But I think that's caused a lot of unrest within the squad, I feel, because how on earth can anyone play with cohesion or with a bit of uh, confidence, I guess, if they, if in the back of their head, the players are thinking, well, I'll probably be left out next week anyways. And you know, like with 
other emissions like Matty Longstaff or even Sean Longstaff, who I'll admit hasn't reached the levels he reached before his injury like last year. There are still options. And every single week, us as fans, we are in desperation. We're exasperated with, hold on, why keep starting Jeff Hendrick and not getting the Longstaff brothers on? Do you know what I mean? Like these simple things where you can build the backbone and we can stick to it. Yet Steve Bruce is persisting with the likes of, yeah, Jeff Hendrick, for example. Like I don't get the Jeff Hendrick. I don't, unless it's in his contract where he needs guaranteed starts. I just don't know why he would persist with that. You know, it's those kind of decisions which are just detrimental. Sounds like a Willian thing, Cadge. You know, you wonder why Arteta plays Willian. It's like all these new. It's like these managers want to prove that because they sign these players, they need to play. They don't want to fall on their own sword, sort of thing. So, so there was an article I think um, someone mentioned. Uh, I think you know the idea of like the fall of Mourinho and like with successful managers is that obviously Steve Bruce is not a successful manager. But let's just go <laughs> with the idea that managers want to don't just want to win; they want to win in their way. They want to make sure that they're right. It's like an ego thing, and that that might be the reason why Steve Bruce has his reasons. He wants to be proven right to the media and to all these Newcastle fans. So it's a, I don't know it, your thoughts. It could be potentially just his ego coming through instead of just I don't think he has an ego to rest on I mean he was an amazing player but as a manager his career is redundant isn't it like he's basically floated in between yeah has he ever shown like been good anywhere because I know even Aladash was good at like Bolton a couple of times I mean he got whole promoted didn't he I think that's the one thing I can remember and he got them to the FA Cup final yeah he did no but I'm a neutral right so I just think when I look at like you know those I always mention it those managers of like Mark Hughes Steve Bruce Aladash they're kind of being phased out, right? They're phased out of the Premier League and you're getting these young, innovative coaches. I just don't get how you go from Rafa to someone like Steve Bruce. And that might be another, like, this next talking point in terms of, like, how did it come to you employing Steve Bruce? Because regardless, he was never going to do a good job. Isha, your thoughts? I think the thing is, when, when that whole thing happened with Rafa, I was bitterly disappointed. And it is still quite a raw subject for me, given that... I half saw Steve Bruce as an emergency interim head coach type of situation. I I absolutely did not think that a year on plus he'd still be with us. Like I genuinely did not think it was a permanent sort of thing. I really thought, wow, we have huge boots to fill here in Rafa Benitez. You know, Mike Ashley would be in his best interest to replace him just for the commercial value of the club. Yet he's persisted with Steve Bruce and... That is where the frustration lies within our fan base this season. So, Stenish, what why do you think that as well? So, like, like Isha said, with the with the whole Rafa saga, like I'm sure you'll remember that when it was coming towards the end of the season, and there was a lot of murmurs that oh, he hasn't signed a new contract. Like, what's going on? And obviously, there was a sort of unerring um, like nervousness that we just knew that something wasn't right, and he, if something was going to happen, it would have happened by this time. And when it finally came out that, you know, that he's not signing and there'd obviously been a fallout with Ashley, like we just thought at this point, this is the end pretty much for us. We'd had someone like we'd brought in a manager who'd just come off the back of managing Real Madrid like three times Champions League winners. Like, you know I mean, we know to come to manage Newcastle was an incredible feat as it was, but to lose he, someone... He went that, down with you guys as well, didn't he? He, he managed well, you the in thing, the Exactly. Like he saw the potential of the club. He saw the potential of the club to stay with us in the championship. And ever since day one, he had a clear vision of where he saw the club in the next five, 10 years. He knew that this was a project that could be turned around with the right resources, with the right backing. And 
the point comes down to that Ashley just didn't work with the suggestions that he'd given. I think the key thing for Benitez was he knew when he came to this club that finance would be restricted. And essentially, the transfer policy was we sell to buy or we buy uh, we buy young players to improve them for their sell-on value. And obviously, looking at that, okay, if if we're only having to sell to buy, then the only other way realistically is to promote from youth. So if we're going to invest in the youth system and make them better and create these youth prospects, we've got to invest in the youth system. And Benitez had this whole plan about improving the training facilities. You know, the only way we can do that is getting these under 18s, under 23 players like coming up. I don't think we've really had any big talents come up from the youth system. Probably the best prospects have been the Longstaff brothers who haven't really lived up to their potential yet. So it's really sad to see that Ashley just hasn't given him the backing, given his stature, his pedigree, been able to attract a manager like that and then just let him go without even trying, basically. It's probably the most frustrating moment, I think, of his tenure so far. Um, and coming in with Steve Bruce now, it's, it's just somehow got even worse than we already thought it was, really. Yeah, I mean, I do want to speak about Mike Ashley, right? Because I do think he's the worst owner in the Premier League. But before we do that, for like, say for our, neutral, our listeners and people who don't watch uh, Newcastle regularly, right? Gary Neville put a, a, a segment like a couple of months ago why even under Rafa, the football wasn't that great. Like they wouldn't score attacking football. Can you explain to our listeners what the real, what the difference and why Steve Bruce is a lot worse than Rafa's football in eight, is it eighteen nineteen season? I mean, I think for me, if we if if someone was to just ask me now, like like okay, what is like why is it so much worse? Stats aside, I would say direction and ambition and drive even energy and I rarely see that this season I've I've not seen that and at least with Rafa yeah there were ups and downs and yeah okay we weren't you know contending for the title however we had that trust in him because he he's tried and tested you know he for his experience his wealth of experience he knew what he was doing not only did he know what he was doing we knew through and through that he cared for the best interests of our club and like Thinesh said I mean to have to walk away from a contract extension because your um, ambitions and dreams in in the long run for a club aren't supported by an owner it says it all he wasn't happy to walk away this guy's he's not He's not from Newcastle. Like he's not even a Geordie. Yet he had the ambitions for our club. He he had the vision and he played us with some direction and with a brand of football. You know, yes, we were defensive, yes, but there was still a clear there was this yeah, there was still a, a style of like we don't even have a style. Like we don't even have like you said, there's no consistent starting eleven. How on earth can we form a brand of football and stick to it and even be effectively like defensively effective because if we're not even able to do that like we're going back to what we said about Steve Bruce saying oh it's all about balance but there's not balance from either end so what exactly are you trying to achieve when like so when Benitez came in I think we had eight games to go in the season and he knew basically that if we're going to stay up this was going to be a mammoth task and he knew from day one looking at the squad I don't think the squad back then was anywhere near as what the depth that we have now and he knew from day one that okay Basically, what we're going to have to do is we need to go into the mindset of every game that we're going to be hard to beat and we're going to make ourselves hard to beat, but we take our chances when we get them. And he basically changed us to, you know, a counter-attacking style football sort of team. It might not have been the most attractive football and we all knew that, but 
it got us results, albeit we did get relegated, but we knew essentially he had this vision that, okay, we have to play this way now, but eventually, you know, if we can come back into the Premier League, which we did, and we did it pretty comfortably, I think playing some decent football as well in the championship, that with the right investment and with the right players, the players that he wanted, we could change the style of the football and take the club to essentially where he knew that that we belonged back in the day. Like when Ashley took over the club, Newcastle played in European football 10 out of the last 11 seasons. Like this wasn't a club he inherited that was in a relegation battle. He's turned that, it into a relegation battle that, team. That's so poor. That's so poor. And essentially what his his legacy is that we've been relegated twice in the last decade. We haven't, and, we have, we've been to Europe three once. Times. Potentially three times. We've been to Europe once in the last 15 years. We haven't had a major trophy since 1955. Like These stats are so damning to the point that we don't know where the club is at now unless something happens, unless the ownership changes. And I know we'll, I know we'll get into that at some point. Yeah. Um, it's a business just, gym, isn't it? Ashley, it's a business. He sees it yeah, as a like, money-making. I still, want to talk about, I still want to talk about Rafa just for a bit. He, he only spent like eight million. I think it was because uh, he sold Mitrovic and Marino when he first came back, right? And I remember you, you guys still had some very good wins against some of the big sides. Was it was it Chelsea at home or United? Is that 1-0 against... Oh, yeah, um, we've, we've beaten yeah. United. We'd beaten Arsenal. We'd beaten <laughs> Chelsea. Like, we'd beat City. City in the, as well? That's, that's we'd beat, season as we'd, well. I don't think we'd beaten City, but we'd beat them in the cup. Um, so, do you know what I mean? We were still picking up results and that was that was just the really like frustrating thing that he just didn't back him for some reason like if for some reason he's backing bruce in terms of you know letting him buy buy the players that he wants and i will get on to joe linton because i think that's just <laughs> arguably must the be worst piece the of business things. it must be something behind the, the scenes worst piece of business must be so just a just a story on that isha i don't know if you're aware of this so that deal for joe linton was agreed in january prior to the prior to the summer transfer window when he signed Mm-hmm. Um, so a pre-contract was agreed the fee was all agreed and we knew that was going to happen and Benitez was in charge at this point and he said to Ashley do not buy this player he is not a good player it's a waste of money we should be signing Rondon at that point we had Rondon on loan yeah. Rondon was available to be signed for £16 million and Ashley said no Rondon is 29 years old he doesn't have any sell-on value and this is literally where it comes down to that he saw him as someone who couldn't be sold on for a profit albeit Rondon had scored 10 goals for us when he mm. came. He was a brilliant player for us. I think everyone really wanted him to stay. Yeah, and Perez and I think was he, still with us at that point as well. So Perez was not? still there. Ex- exactly. And instead, he chose to make a statement by saying, oh, I do invest money in the club. I don't care who the player is. I will just spend the money and show the world that I do spend, essentially that I spend money. And mm. this is what it comes down to. He cared more about how he wanted to present himself rather than whether it was a good investment for the club. But... For his defense, right, I I kind of agree. Like, if you want to sign a player and you want to improve the club, right, you sign young players that have sell-on value. Because the best example, right, the club you want to be, and I think a lot of clubs want to be, is like Leicester City. They don't buy, like, just 29-year-olds. They buy very young players, talented, scout them, talented players. They play them well. They they have that value, increase their sell-on value, sell them and reinvest it into the squad and to the youth system. Obviously, Mike Ashley didn't reinvest into the youth system and so on. But do you not think that's kind of fair? I, obviously, Joe Linton hasn't really worked out, but that kind of point in terms of investing into young talent compared to... 
I don't know if Joe Linton can warrant that yeah. strategy. I just think that yeah. any decision I've seen Mike Ashley make in his whole tenure, yeah. I, I've never looked at it and been like, yeah, yeah, that's a long-term vision. Yeah, he's thinking about the, the club in the long run. Like I've never once thought, oh, he's definitely looking ahead. He definitely wants us to, at some point, whether it's in five years' time, whether it's in two years' time, like I've never sat there and thought, yes, this is for long-term vision. Was that Joe Linton move just... And was there an ego clash? Was there some politics? Obviously, Rafa, you know, he didn't end up staying. And that in itself speaks volumes of Mike Ashley and someone like Rafa and that sort of clash. Does Steve Bruce fit into Mike Ashley's his ownership um, traits where he wants to call the shots. He wants to spend the money. And, you know, if you've read Kevin Keegan's book and he really goes into depth about this, you're either in the dark and if you speak up, like as a manager, and if you speak up about what you want, I mean, you, it's tricky. And that's kind of what happened with Rafa, right? He's the one that came forward and was like, well, I want to invest. I want us to build on the academy. I think youth, this, that, invest here, invest there. Does Mike Ashley like that? I mean, evidently not. Will Steve Bruce come forward and like take a stand for what he believes in? I mean, probably not. So does he best suit Mike Ashley? Yeah. And that's why he's still with us, right? He seems like a yeah. yes man. He's a yes man. I'm telling you now. Steve Bruce is a yes exactly. man. Exactly. <laughs> That's the reason why he's there, right? Absolutely. Not, yeah, fine. You guys can answer this as well. Do you feel like Newcastle have a... Why do they seem to be kind of portrayed in the media as uh, entitled people that they think they take too highly of themselves? Do you know why they think that? Is it just because Mike Ashley has power in the media? I genuinely think it's just blindness that people don't watch Newcastle United. They just purely go off the results and, you know, oh, okay, yeah, we picked up a point against Spurs. Why Why is everyone complaining? Like people don't, people don't actually watch what's going on. And only until recently, like Ish was saying, that pundits are actually, you know, realising that there is clearly a problem here. It's just so frustrating to see that it's taken so long. For people to realise that, um, genuinely, thing I think there's just people blinded by by what they see on face value rather than what's actually going on behind the scenes. Isha, mm. do you, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think you're right, and I, I I'm sort of relieved to see that a lot of pundits and you know huge football personalities have stood up now and been like. Yeah, you know what? You do deserve better. Yes, you you absolutely do. You're not asking for too much here. You're asking exactly. for a bit of ambition. You're asking for to watch your team play with a bit of drive, with a bit of energy, with a bit of fight. And we we've rarely seen that. And it's it isn't good enough. And I think leading up to this moment, yeah, it is frustrating because we're not demanding freaking we're not we're not demanding to be like Man City or Liverpool. We're not demanding to contend for the title we just want to see decent football being played and we want to see a manager who's capable of having a plan and sticking to it you know like with Rafa he had a plan there was a vision we haven't had that since he's left but I guess going on to ambition um obviously the huge talking point now is the uh the potential takeover which feels like the biggest drama that's been going on since I don't know if you watch Line of Duty but that just feels like even worse than that at the moment so just a quick history lesson for those of you who don't know about the takeover saga. So the first sort of murmur started in 2017 when Ashley first put the sale, uh, put the club up for sale. Um, and Amanda Staveley came in with a bid um, with her Dubai investment fund, PCP Capital Partners. So this was really the first sort of time we heard anything about a takeover bid. And the fans were very excited at this point. Ultimately, what happened was it dragged out. 
Ashley called her a time waster and this is not the person that you want on the other end of the deal because we know how shrewd he can't how shrewd he is essentially with business so that fizzled out then 2018 Peter Kenyon another person a former Man, U- Man United executive an American tycoon someone who's quite uh, quite respected in in sort of the business world but again the talks broke down apparently funds proof of funds couldn't be shown and again we were we were sold dreams that potentially a takeover could be done in that sense we come to 2019 and a completely new story now we've got the bin zayed group who was led by sheikh khaled um and this time it sort of felt a little bit more real because a sale and purchase agreement uh, was put in place and if you know your legal terms that that's as binding as it gets in terms of the sale but ultimately a common theme was turning out that these consortiums couldn't show that they had the funds to purchase the club and i don't necessarily blame ashley in that situation because i think a lot of these a lot of these takeover sort of bids were put into the media whereas they should have been done sort of behind closed doors and i think some of these um consortiums were a bit too enthusiastic but we come to 2020 which i think is ultimately really where we are now whereby Amanda Staveley, a, a key figure who I think he, he's been uh, recognised with Newcastle, came back and I think shocked everyone um, when she launched a bid with the the Saudi Arabian uh, Public Investment Fund um, and the Rubin brothers who supported this takeover bid. And really, this was the first sign that genuinely something could actually happen here. A deal was agreed at £300 million. There was proof of fund shown, which was the issue in in the previous circumstances. They'd signed the SPA. And, and like I said, as as legal standpoint goes, this was pretty much a done deal. But ultimately, I think the fans didn't realise that a stumbling block that I don't think anyone anticipated was the Premier League ultimately blocked the takeover because it didn't pass the owners and directors tests. And we're here now where that's Ashley's laughable, fighting. Uh, that's laughable, right? Do you I not mean, think? Like, look at like yeah. Abramovich. Like, like we'll get. I mean, we'll get on to yeah. we'll get on to the mm. issues with this owners and directors test and why I think why I think this hasn't gone through. But ultimately, it led to the PIF pulling out of the deal um, and Ashley's currently fighting with his legal team for this to be reviewed and I'm I'm pretty confident that there's still a deal to be had I think they do want to buy this club I know Ashley wants to sell it's really down to I think what the Premier League um, whether the Premier League can change their mind and get this one through the door Isha what do you think of the whole takeover saga? I mean, I think you're a bit more optimistic than I because I gave up thinking about it or trying to like, even when I read updates, I was like, you know what, take it with a pinch of salt because I got too emotionally attached to it during lockdown. I think there was not much else going on and I was like, oh my God, this is going to happen. It's going to be the best thing ever. And that day when we heard that it was absolutely not happening, I can't describe the feeling. And from then until now, I feel like the salt has been sprinkled on the wound because it is ongoing. Like we, I still, it's like when someone dumps you and you're like, oh my God, I need closure. No, there's no closure because it's still going on. (laughs) Like, no, it's still painfully drawn out and we still don't know, is it happening? Is it not happening? And like, we're getting teased with all these updates with the legal proceedings. And you know what? For once I've seen our fan base behind Mike Ashley because he desperately wants to sell the club and he is determined to push for this legal battle with the Premier League. 
I mean, yeah, I think I think what was really sad is that, that like Amanda Staveley and the Rubin brothers had actually formed a really close relationship with the fans, and they yes. were really trying to give the fans like an update of what's going on and trying to keep the fans in the loop, which is all like the fans have been crying out for. I think communication has been a huge issue um, in Mike Ashley's tenure. He's only made a public interview once, I think, in his in his term, and. It was just really sad when it all came out and they were genuinely like gutted when they had to pull out. You could tell, I think, um, Amanda Staveley's husband and um, mm-hmm. Jamie Rubin, who, who's currently on the board at QPR, had, you know, he'd sent out all his condolences and he knew that, you know, this was something that was monumental for the club and genuinely could have changed our fortunes. Um, and I, I still believe that this could happen and it will depend on whether we can stay in the Premier League. But if they can, it really comes down to, like I said, whether Ashley can win this legal battle to, to get the Premier League to change their mind on the owners and directors test. I'll give it to Ashley. He wants to, he wants to sell, right? So I'll give it to him that he looks like this time he actually wants to sell, but I feel like this takeover is gone. It's is bigger than it is. Like, I mean, I've heard, you know, Jamal Kasagi has been the murdered Saudi Arabian journalist has been mentioned. You know, his wife wrote to the Premier League to oppose a deal and everything. It's like, He's got it's so much bigger than just the Stavely brother, the Stave, Amanda Stavely, and you know the Ruben brothers, and then PIF, and then also that all the human rights record of being brought in. It's like it's so much more complicated than it seems on the outside. Or it, the Premier League are making it, trying to pass the buck onto you know like the human rights record and all that. But it's, it's just a bit of a funny one. Yeah, I mean, look, do you, I mean, it's, do you it's, not think that's laughable? It like, look at Chelsea, they look at Man City, their owners, right? Like, and what they like, what Abramovich's done to get that money, what uh, the Sheik owners have done to get that money. Hell, the World Cup is going to be in Qatar, right? Like, what is morals in football, really? Like, and they're, they're passing this over, do you not think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult one. Like, I mean, at, at some point, I guess the Premier League have to be seen taking a tough stance or something. But to like just to bring it up now is is a bit is a bit a bit of a joke, to be honest. I mean, I would love it to go through. I mean, I remember seeing pictures of Mbappe in a Newcastle shirt. Now I know that's a bit of a fantasy in it, but <laughs> I mean, you know, you every I think for me, every fan should be able to think that their club one day will be taken over by owners who will be able to invest in the team and and you know propel that team to the next level. Every fan should be able to you know live that dream, and I hope it does come true one day for you guys. Do you think it's kind of like a sinister motive from the Premier League? Like it's the big boys planning and not to bring another, per- I not another genuinely, per club? That, that's what I was going to bring up. I genuinely think there's something going on behind the scenes that, you know, clubs are scared of, of the numbers we're quoting. We're talking about this shake is apparently 20 times richer than the Man City owner. Do you know what I mean? Like the potential investment here is like monumental to the point where, you know, we we could buy players that would have been unthinkable at some point. And I think there is there I genuinely think there is something going on where they don't want to shake up the, you know, this traditional top six and add in another heavyweight that, you know, could potentially, you know, take away what relationships have been built currently with these big teams. Isha, what what are your thoughts on, you know, what's gone wrong with the with the relationship with the Premier League? Mm, I mean, obviously, I don't want to say too much because obviously I work in football and I, I don't want to be throwing <laughs> accusations. <laughs> I can't be throwing around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. But, but yeah, what, fair. what I will say is that, do you remember earlier on in the season when there were the, the proposal for that project big picture thing? Do you remember that? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. the fear inside me was real. I mean, the thought of the top six having any sort of, um, I don't know, what, what were they meant to have? Like, uh, it was like autonomy, I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Voting the, power, essentially, wasn't it? Exactly. So for me, 
to, for that to be proposed and for me as a Newcastle fan in the midst of a messy, complex takeover, I thought, well, this is definitely not a hundred million years ever going to happen then because if that was in their power, like that isn't fair. And then they certainly would not want the likes of Newcastle to be funded in such an elaborate way because like you said, these levels of wealth are like unimaginable. It would under all, you know wage restrictions in mind, we would still have incredible amounts of investment. And not only that, it's it's the, the public investment fund. They had these enormous plans for the Northeast region, you know, sports and this link with Saudi Arabia. It just would have opened up a huge, huge, huge Pandora's box in the Middle East. Like the Middle East would only support Newcastle. And that in itself is just the commercial value is it, the, yeah, it, it's not even, you can't even imagine what we would have been able to achieve or how, I mean, you're a little bit I think hopeful. like you said, this, this was so much bigger than just a football club. Like you said, the, exactly. it would have been the, inve- it would have been the investment in the area, which is, which has been hugely, campaign. like hugely yeah. neglected. I think that part, um, like that part of like the northeast like they they really deserve i think um you know the investment and someone to come in and really regenerate the area because yeah. the the fans and the people who live there work so hard and they bleed newcastle and the fact that it's it's really sad to see that this has not only affected the like these people either work and they work and they support you know they support newcastle basically so yeah. it's just really sad to see that you know they're not they're not getting the backing for themselves as well but i guess one positive thing that's come out this week is the uh, the deal that's been agreed with the newcastle supporters trust to yeah. potentially invest in the in the club which is really positive i think what did you think about that I mean, it's it's certainly positive. I wouldn't say it. I mean, I was really surprised. I'm not going to lie. I was very surprised. I knew there was some sort of an announcement. There was a lot of noise around. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't get my hopes high for a takeover update, but I did think it's something related to our club and the fans and ownership. And for them to pledge, you know, this launch to build a fund for a small ownership for us as fans, it is ambitious. And it's it's a great initiative. However, I, I just don't know if that's feasible. I mean, even 1%. Firstly, would a new owner agree? And secondly, even to raise 1%, like, are we capable of that? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I think they quoted that 1% would be about £3 million. So, it, doable. I mean, it would, doable. it's doable. Yeah, if, doable. If, yeah. I think they doable. said if, if all the fans in St. James's Park, for example, donated £6 a month, that would be enough. We're talking 50,000 people donating £6 a month every, mm. you know, every month. It, it could work. Um, I mean, it's something definitely I would be really interested in, something to bring us fans closer to the club, knowing that, you know, we've got, we own a piece of the club essentially and that we have a say. Uh, mm. I think that's all fans have been crying out for, just to be cl- like more closely connected into the key decisions that are being made and feel like they're being involved and their voice is being heard. So it can only be a positive thing. And like you said, it's ambitious, but... It, Eventually, if something does happen in terms of takeover, it'll be really good to see that, that that's something that's gone through. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. No, I was going to say, would you give credit to Rio Ferdinand for suggesting that? I think it was, he said something well, like that. Rio Ferdinand just said, why don't you just spend 300 million yourself? Because apparently everyone has that, you know, in their back pocket. So I'm, I'm just going to ignore that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, so... So, so just to just to close off, um, going back to this season, obviously now we're in a massive relegation battle here. Um, it's going to go down to the Y, really. So, I just want to get your thoughts. Do you think we can do it? Do you think we can stay up this season? 
I don't want to be too, too confident and positive about this. But like we said at the start of the episode, Fulham lost yesterday. We played relatively ambitious football against Spurs. We're up against Burnley, which should be winnable. You know, from then on, yeah, it's going to be tricky. Yeah, we've got, who've we got? Arsenal, we've got Liverpool, we've got Man City. And then we're finishing with two potentially winnable games, Sheffield United and Fulham, I'd like to think. I think with games in hand, given that we're three points ahead of Fulham, I'd like to say now, yeah, I'm going to look ahead to grabbing a point or even winning against Burnley and I'll feel a little relieved. If we win against Burnley, I honestly, I will secretly be very relieved and I will look at the table and think we can do this. That Especially because be Callum Wilson yeah. will be back. You know, like exactly. everyone's... Get, get, um, when we were hit with the injuries a few weeks ago, I was petrified. Now, you know, Alan St. Maximum's back, Callum Wilson potentially back tomorrow. And yeah, okay, Lascelles is out and Isaac Hayden's out for the rest of the season. But I think, yeah, I mean, the likes of Callum Wilson and the people that know there is a job to be done and they need to do what they can to just keep us afloat. I do think, yeah, I think we might just be okay, you know. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree. I think Wilson is it's the key factor here. He he will be the one that can score us the goals. We don't really have anyone else who can really score goals. The fact that Lascelles is like our third high school scorer says it all, doesn't it? So it'll be huge just to see him back in the shirt again. Um, and he'll give us the focal point I think we've just been missing over these last, I think it's what, eight games now he's missed, which has mm. been terrible. And I think so, last weekend showed that we can't, we do have it in us to, you know, to go for it and create chances. I think last week I was gutted because I think, I feel like we should have won that game. I think ultimately mm. we, we missed the chances really. If we had someone who could finish, I think if Wilson was in front of goal, especially mm. for that Gale chance, for example, like he would have put that away. So if we can create the chances, I'm, I'm confident we can do enough to stay up. It's just whether, it's just whether we can find the consistency really just to put the results together. Kaj, Dylan, as, uh, as outsiders, what, what do you think? It's an interesting one. Like, I mean, as a neutral, obviously, you know, finish how much I love the relegation battle and the top four challenge. Like, obviously, as a, from a neutral perspective, I'd love it to go to the last day of the season um, and watch the Fulham Newcastle game with everything riding riding on it. As a, as a football purist, in you want to say, I know that's probably hard for both of you to hear. Um, but yeah, I'm getting heart palpitations just thinking of that. Like, <laughs> I mean, I would love that. I do, I do the match of the day challenge. I do the match of the day challenge on the last day of every season, as Thinesh knows. So I would love to watch match of the day and watch that game happening. Um, but I, I honestly think you guys will be all right. I mean, think, I think Fulham, looking at their fixtures on paper, I mean, Chelsea, Arsenal, United, they still got to travel not looking so good. You've got two games in hand on them. I think you'll be all right. If you win tomorrow, I think it's nearly over. I know you, it's mathematically not, but I think you'll be fine because I just can't see Fulham picking up that many points given their, they've scored, what, three goals in 10 home games. So it's not looking great. So I think you'll be fine. But football neutral in me wants it to go to the last day of the season. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, like I know they're playing us, but I don't back us to win, beat them because we're pretty poor in general now. Um, I think, yeah, the most important thing is you have two games in hand and you got points on the board, and especially at this stage, that's that's the most important thing. And the fact that you have two games, yeah, I think you should be fine. But uh, if I want to move it away from the relegation battle, right? I I think the best situation I'd like if I want if I'm a neutral is I'd like if I didn't if I didn't have you as a friend, Tadesh, I would probably want Newcastle to get relegated because I just don't <laughs> like Steve Bruce. Because I no, because I look at it, yeah, Brighton play very good football, right? I think part what Parker's doing Fulham, he's actually doing a fairly good job, right? With Newcastle, it's a bit of a. There's no life in it, and especially with like Mike Ashley at the moment. And the way I see it, I just want. I always want to know like what is his end game, and th- yeah, that's just my kind of rant 
kind of yeah no i totally agree from a neutral we play the most horrible football i don't i don't know how we endure it every week and i think it was quite eye-opening i think i remember you telling me when you after you watch the arsenal game like you only then realize like how bad we actually were um just in terms of just set up yeah because like before like we finish like his highlights are what Three gonna be it could be potentially three relegations in like fifteen years. He gave Alan Padre an eight year contract, and like I just he do, he's not reinvesting the money, and he's just having yes men through. Like I just don't know what it what what he's there. No, for, the money's but, reinvested. Um, it's just going to like you know flannels dot com and you know sports direct. So it's getting reinvested. It's just somewhere yeah, else in it. House of Fraser, like, bro. Like, come on, <laughs> like yeah. Before we end it, like what what do you think is Mike Ashley's end game before we kind of finish off? That's a really funny question because honestly, I mean, of course, we all have this collective opinion on him that he is very money-minded. He is a businessman. He's there to make a lot of money. However, there are certain decisions which make me question that. For example, okay, if I own a club, okay, and I'm just interested in milking it for cash, I want to get rid. I don't actually want to own it anymore. Like I am battling it out to try and get it bought. I don't want the club. Steve Bruce up until I'd say within the last week, Steve Bruce plummeted us down to the bottom of the table. So we were relegation candidates. Okay. If Mike Ashley is doing the maths and he's thinking, oh my God, we might be going down into championship. We are going to lose millions of pounds. Let me, you know, let's have some action plan. Whoa. Like, you know, some realization, like, you know, just a point of realization that if I don't act quick, you know, I, I might like Steve Bruce, but I need my team to stay up just to maintain this commercial value. And, you know, I can still probably sell it. We're, we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's ambitious to sell a club in a pandemic anyways, but I can probably still get 300 million pounds for it. I don't know why he hasn't reached that moment of panic. And if anything, like you said, how essentially you're saying that we don't deserve to stay up because of the football we play and our owners and our, our even Steve Bruce, he'll come away being like, oh, wow, man, you know, they didn't get, um, didn't get relegated. And it's like, no, no, you don't deserve to have that on your CV because if we don't get relegated, it's not down to Steve Bruce. It's down to the players coming together and being like, oh my God, we need to stay up. So I guess my point is that with Mike Ashley, uh, it blows my mind that he doesn't sometimes think of if he was thinking about the money of the club and he is even looking at the table, even if he's not watching our games, if he's looking at the table and being like, hang on a minute, like, yeah, Steve Bruce isn't actually doing a good job. Oh my God, we might get relegated. I'm going to lose out on loads of money. Let me just re- replace him. Is that a conspiracy? But there's a conspiracy theory that he might want to get relegated because then he can bypass like the Premier League rules just to sell to the Saudis. I don't know. I heard. But this is like, that. how much are we, is he going to lose out? This is like a hundred million pounds, right? we would um, decrease in value. Yeah, I mean, the, the Premier League revenue alone is, nine, I think, 90 yeah, it must be, million It must dwarf any championship revenue. So, I mean, that's a weird business. As a businessman, that would be a, a strange decision to no, make. But I, I, I do think he wants to sell. It's just, I think he just got stuck this time. But, um, all right, fine. Uh, finish. I'm going to give it to, uh, to you to you and your final thoughts. Yeah, Isha, yeah. I just want to say... Thanks for coming on. Um, do you want to just briefly just talk about uh, like your YouTube channel and what sort of content that you post on there? Yeah, sure. So my channel, yeah, I guess I do like a weekly Newcastle update, but I do some Premier League bits as well. And actually IPL stuff as well, because the IPL is back. Woo-hoo! Oh, so buzzing for that. Yeah, but I find like my followers on my channel, like it's very, there's no crossover whatsoever. You know, it's very much like I'm only here for Newcastle or I'm only here for like Indian cricket related stuff. So I mean, if you're, <laughs> intre- if you're interested in those two things, then subscribe to my channel. Um, that That's what you'll find there. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll have all your links uh, in the in the description as well. Awesome. Isha, so yeah. 
Thank, thanks for thanks for having us on. Yeah, we definitely have to have you back on uh, yeah. another time again. Yeah, no, thank you for coming. Uh, it's been good to hear. It's nice to hear, you know, about a different club. Um, like we don't, we don't, we only hear from finishers ranting. So it was nice to hear <laughs> a balanced perspective, you know. <laughs> Today you got backup finish, you know, misery know. likes company. It's nice. Just, it's the, I think yeah. it's the first time it, yeah. So it's good. Thanks. So thank, as always, thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure you follow us at BTG underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram and give us a follow on Spotify or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.